and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for anyone who loves cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Oh, terrific. I Good. We're just, you know, rolling through the year, having yeah. a great time, learning yeah, about all kinds good. of fun topics from our friends. It's amazing it's how amazing. knowledgeable our friends are. I feel honored. And you know who else is is knowledgeable? A lot of our listeners. A yes. lot of our listeners that we they send us interesting factoids. And oh my they send gosh! Us yes. Great, um, great responses to things. And sometimes they send us like topic suggestions. They do. And you know what? That's what I did for this week. Is I took one of our more recent topic suggestions um, sent to us by listener Brett O. Um, I'm afraid, though, Brett O, I might be breaking your heart with with what I have uncovered about oh, this no. episode. <laughs> but we'll get to that part. So, um, so yes. Just without further ado, today we're talking about William Wallace. Oh, I have an interesting uh, college anecdote about that, but we'll oh, get terrific, to it. terrific! Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So, of course, of course, I'm speaking about one of Scotland's national heroes. So, I'm going to tell you all about his history, all about some important things he did, um, a couple of tangents about other English and Scottish, uh, you know, a couple historical of historical things. A couple of tidbits about other related English and Scottish historical things that are related to all this. Mm. And then I'm going to, you know, talk about some myths and debunk some things and, you know, but it's going to be great, everybody. So I'm excited. And I'm going to try super hard. And my apologies to Addie right before we get started. My apologies that I am not going to try to do any Scottish accent in this episode. I think that's probably the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Um, My Scottish is not nearly as well honed as my English. I'll say say Mm. that. Mm. Um, But also, my apologies if I pronounce anything incorrectly. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, when are you you planning on using a Scottish accent? Because it's not like... (laughs) It's not like Scottish is like a commonly used language, but I would imagine there are some things in, in Gaelic. Yes, that, that in, you know, they have some they have some consonants that are pronounced differently than, yeah, than we might tell me. Anyway, mm-hmm. William Wallace, what we know about him. He was born around 1270 in the Common Era, but little is known of his family history. So mm. a few centuries after he was, you know, in existence, someone recorded his father as being Sir Malcolm of Eldersley, which is near Renfrewshire. But that has been one of the perpetuated stories about him. Um, according to a letter that William Wallace wrote in 1297, the seal on that letter indicated that his father was named Alan. So Alan Wallace, mm. who may have been a crown tenant in Ayrshire. So also, the origins of the Wallace surname and its association with Southwest Scotland are kind of also far from certain, other than the name being derived from the Old English Wallish, meaning foreigner or Welshman. So they oh. probably um, moved into Scotland from Wales at some point. So at any rate, historians can agree. William Wallace was born into a family of the lesser nobility in Scotland. That means he was raised to be a minor noble and he trained in the arts of war from a young age. Mm. 
While Wallace was growing up, uh, King of Scots Alexander III ruled Scotland. His reign had seen a period of peace and economic stability, but in March 1286, um, Alexander died after falling from his horse. Typical king. I was going to say a very common, weirdly common death. Some other kings who have died from falling off horses. William the Conqueror, Genghis Khan, Holy Roman Emperor Frederick I, Louis III of France, who fell off his horse while chasing a girl. Also, Louis IV of France, who fell off his horse while chasing a wolf. And Louis V of France, who also died off falling off of his horse while chasing an unidentified animal. (laughs) Wow. Who knew that horses were so... So Louis V did not have any children, like thus ending the 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 reign of very clumsy... several Louis just being unable, not trained in the equestrian arts. Not good horsemen. No. So Alexander III dies. Uh, The heir to the throne was his granddaughter, Margaret, maid of Norway. So she was the daughter of King Eric II of Norway and Margaret of Scotland. Here's the problem. Margaret was three years old when her grandfather died, and she lived well in Norway. So the Scottish lords set up a government of guardians and it was agreed that Margaret would come to Scotland to be inaugurated in 1290 at the ripe old age of seven and that a marriage contract between Margaret and then five-year-old Edward of Carnarvon, heir apparent to the English throne. Um, So on her voyage to Scotland in late August 1290, she fell ill and she died in Orkney in late September. But everyone was waiting for her in Schoon so that she could be inaugurated, but they didn't find out until like a couple months later. So they're just all like there in schoon, like Hanging twiddling out. their thumbs. And then they find out that she that she had died before she got there. So oh this was a giant mess. Um, and yeah. as we talked about in lots of our like nobility episodes, like all you care about is like your lineage and your clear heir, you yep. know? So yep. there's a lack of a clear heir in Scotland right now. And this led to a mm-hmm. period known as the Great Cause. So there are 13 contenders who are laying claim to the Scottish throne. In reality, only about four of them had actual genuine claims to the throne, you know, either being their bloodline or other royal claims. Among them, only Robert Bruce, who was the fifth Lord of Annandale, and John Balliol had realistic grounds on which to claim the crown. The rest Mm -hmm. just kind of wanted to have their stuff put, you know, down on the legal record. Sure. So we have a group of Scottish auditors. Um, and then there's King Edward I of England, also called Edward yeah. Longshanks. He becomes the administrator of this. Um, so their decision, you know, with this group was that John Balliol would become the next King of Scots in November 1292. And he was inaugurated accordingly at Schoon on St. Andrew's Day in November 30th of 1292. So I've mentioned Schoon a few times. Why? Why there? It is It is spelled yeah. S-C-O-N-E. You know, like so you would think say, that would be scone. You would say scone. And sidebar, when I was in Edinburgh, I said, look, is is it pronounced is it pronounced scone or scone? And they said, neither. It's pronounced schoon. So <laughs> <laughs> now I know. Um, so basically, schoon was the closest thing that the early kingdom of Scotland had to a capital city. Around 1163 or so, uh, King Malcolm IV described Schoon Abbey as in the principal seat of our kingdom. And Schoon Abbey was the home of the Stone of Scone. The Stone mm. of Scone. It's funnier when you say Stone of Scone. Um, so this is an oblong block of red sandstone that was used for centuries in the coronation of the monarchs of Scotland. And interestingly enough, it was actually last used in 1953 for the coronation of Elizabeth II. Uh, oh, to be, that recent, to huh? Be, um, Interesting. To be coronated, yes. So 
you know, John Balliol, they said, you know, he's the king. Hooray. 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 Scotland has a king. Right. Here's the thing. Seeing as how Mm. King Edward of England was the one to decide, really, who would be the Scottish king. Yeah. (laughs) It turns out this guy had some ulterior motives. So Edward steadily undermined John's authority. He was demanding money and military support and like, Mm. "Mm, can't we have a little bit of this, a little bit of that? So the Scots got very tired of this. um, And a council met in 1295 and they decided to build an alliance with France against England. So Mm. Edward, not too happy about this little Scottish deal with France. So he invaded Scotland, kicking off the wars of Scottish independence. Um, Oh, right. So the Scots were defeated at Dunbar and the English took Dunbar Castle in April 1296. And shortly thereafter, King Edward I of England deposed and imprisoned the Scottish king, John Balliol, and declared himself the ruler of Scotland. So... Hmm. So what happened was like the the um, arms of Scotland were formally like torn away from John's coat, it, which has uh, led to his long running nickname of Tomb Tabard, which means empty coat. It's, you oh, know, just see that kind of through literature. Um, also at this time, Edward stole the Stone of Schoon and moved it to Westminster Abbey. Um, he fitted it into a wooden chair on which most subsequent English and then British sovereigns have been crowned. Um, this chair uh, that it was, they kind of like put it underneath like a wooden chair that already kind of existed, like they built it around it. But then you okay. would be sitting on the stone. I don't know, uh, like a, like a... I don't know. Have you seen you've you've been to museums? You've seen like sure. very fancy chamber pots, like yes. that's like a throne, and then they would put something under it. It's kind of like that when you look at so it. So they're just kind of like sitting, like hovering above the stone. They're, they thing? they end up sitting on the stone, like oh, with the but the chair like arms and back is above it. Yeah, anyway, it's like supporting this chair. It's called the coronation chair or historically St. Edward's or King Edward's chair, which was not named, confusingly, not named for Edward I Longshanks, but for Edward the Confessor, who was one of the last Anglo-Saxon English kings who died in 1066. Um, As we've noted many times on this podcast, uh, there were only like four names (laughs) for Mm -hmm. most of history. So everybody gets their own nickname or like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's how we end up with like Ethelred the Unready and like John the Stupid and stuff like that (laughs) is just like there weren't last names to delineate these people. So they get these like nicknames that have endured through history. So anyway, we still haven't talked about William Wallace. (laughs) Like, so he was born (laughs) around 1270. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, well, now I want setting the scene. I want a whole episode on John the Stupid now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can find him. Don't worry. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, he probably also fell off a horse a couple of times. I mean, honestly, he is. He was very stupid. <laughs> so 1296, English mm-hmm. King Edward I was like, I am the ruler of Scotland now. Ha ha. So uh-huh. here we go. 1297. In May, William Wallace and a band of about 30 men went to the city of Lanark and killed the sheriff of Lanark named William Hesselrig. Okay. Um, so they were joined by Sir William Douglas, whose nickname was William the Hardy. And Wallace next marched on Schoon, and the two forced the English-appointed Justice of Scotland to flee 
and liberated the English treasury that was there. They attacked the English garrisons between the rivers Forth and Tay, and the Scottish steward, Robert the Bruce, who would later become King Robert I, um, and others now gathered a Scottish army, but they were forced to surrender at Irvine in July 1297. Wallace Mm -hmm. wasn't there, though. Um, He remained in action with a large company in the forest of Selkirk, according to a contemporary report made to England's King Edward. So William Wallace, he's like, they can't um, see I said I wasn't going to do an action. He's like, they can't take my country. So, you know, he's hiding in the forest. He's getting his men together. So he and his men laid siege to Dundee. But they were like, OK, this isn't working. They left that so that they could go defend against the English army that was advancing towards Stirling in Scotland. Okay. So John de Warren, who was the Earl of Surrey, um, he was like, sent to uh, negotiate with Wallace because, you know, they knew Wallace was coming. He failed to bring Wallace to terms outside Sterling. And in September of 1297, September 11th to be exact, the English began to file across the narrow bridge that was over the Fourth River, F-O-R-T-H. So Wallace and his, like, bud, Andrew Murray, um, they remained in a position northwest of the Abbey Craig, held back their troops until about half of the English had crossed the bridge. Then the Scots attacked with such sudden fury that almost all who crossed were killed immediately or driven into the river and drowned. And this is called the Battle of Stirling Bridge. Mm, So Surrey, with the rest of his army for the English side, they retreated, but the Scots crossed the river by a ford and pursued them. And with only a small following, Surrey escaped to Berwick in York. And for the moment, Scotland was almost totally free of English occupation. So because of this, Murray and Wallace assumed the title of Guardians of the Kingdom of Scotland on behalf of King John Balliol, who was, you know, technically the king, but like England said, like, you're not the king. So anyway... Murray, unfortunately, had been wounded at Sterling Bridge. He died shortly thereafter. So William Wallace is like, he's it now. He's the guy. Yeah. He now led a large-scale raid into northern England, and he was ravaging Northumberland and Cumberland. He burned Alnwick and besieged Carlisle. Upon returning to Scotland early in December 1297, Wallace was knighted by one of the three remaining Scottish earls. So in the name of King John Balliol, who was then a prisoner in London, Wallace set himself to reorganize the army and regulate the affairs of the country. So he seemed to have acted wisely and vigorously and have been supported by many of the, you know, important guys in Scotland, including Robert the Bruce. Um, Some nobles, though, many of whom had English estates and hostages that were in King Edward's hands were kind of like lukewarm to Wallace's leadership. They were like, sure. oh, I mean, I You're guess. Like this guy. And his position depended entirely upon his success on the battlefield. Mm. I guess you can see where I'm going here. Yeah, exactly. So early in 1298, the Earl of Surrey returned to relieve the English-held castles of Roxburgh and Berwick, but by King Edward's orders, advanced no farther. So Ed- King Edward himself actually crossed the Tweed River in July 1298 and moved towards Stirling with a strong force of heavy cavalry, also with a body of archers and also Welsh auxiliaries. So uh, the Scots kind of shadowed the English army. They were like trying to avoid battle until like kind of forcing... Um, the English kind of run through their supplies. Um, so they like that's what they were kind of like relying on. It's like, OK, we'll see until like their shortage of supplies and money like forces Edward to kind of withdraw his army. Yeah. So Wallace kind of they were kind of like toying with them. Wallace retreated slowly. He kind of actually wasted the country.
infantry behind him so that Edward's forces couldn't resupply themselves. So, you know, a little bit of like salting the fields, a little bit of like burning supplies as they went so that the English were unable to replenish themselves. Yeah. So Edward's army is basically like half starved. They're also mutinous at this point, And they're on the point sure. of retreat when early on July 21st near Kirkliston, he learned that Wallace was awaiting him near Falkirk. So Edward advanced. And on the following day, he found Wallace on a carefully chosen sloping ground. Um, his front was protected by a small river. And the English cavalry, having with some difficulty, crossed the river and the adjacent marshy ground. And they launched repeated charges on the four Shiltrons. So Shiltrons are circular battle formations. They were probably surrounded by wooden stakes that were connected with ropes um, to keep the infantry in formation. Um, so that's kind of an interesting like military term, the Shiltron. Yeah. Um, you you might also hear of it referred to as like the hedgehog formation because you can kind oh, of picture right. like they're kind of all together standing there with pikes and wooden stakes and they're yeah. like ready for battle. So the Shiltrons of Wallace's spearmen were there. Um, the English didn't make any impressions on the Shiltrons and they actually suffered considerable losses. But here's the thing is they had archers. So the mm. archers were able to advance and their deadly volleys soon broke up the spearmen's ranks and further cavalry charges turned them to flight. Um, so uh. thousands of the Scots were actually slain in the pursuit. Um, and this was kind of one of actually the first like large scale battles that involved longbows and like you know, important of the importance of like archery as weapons in, yeah. um, in battle. So... Uh, this wasn't great. Wallace retired northward with his remaining survivors and they actually continued burning things behind them as they went. Sure, yeah. Edward was unable to maintain his forces in Scotland so he returned south. Um, great. But here's the thing is the news that got back to like the Scottish nobles was like Wallace fucked this up like he <laughs> he you know they he, they clearly you know weren't ready for this and we lost mm -hmm. so many men and and this and that so his military reputation actually was like essentially ruined after Falkirk so oh, wow. Wallace resigned his guardianship of the kingdom of Scotland in December 1298 and was succeeded by Robert the Bruce and Sir John Comyn who was also called John the Red um so there's some evidence that William Wallace went to France in 1299 and then returned oh, yeah. to Scotland to act as a solitary guerrilla leader. But from the autumn of 1299, nothing is known of his activities for more than four years. Um, so the rebellion that he had led actually continued on in Scotland until 1304, at which point most Scottish nobles kind of actually just gave up and submitted to King Edward oh. I. Wallace was the one leader to whom William would never offer any terms of capitulation and whom he most persistently tried to capture, though. Oh, he wow. He was so pissed about the Battle of Stirling Bridge that, like, he was, you know, this was, yeah. this was his, like, white whale was going after mm -hmm. William Wallace. So on August 5th, 1305, William Wallace was arrested near Glasgow by Sir John Menteith. And according to two early chroniclers, he was arrested on charges of treachery. He was carried away to Dumbarton Castle and then to London, having possibly been brought before King Edward along the way. And he probably was brought to King Edward along the way, to be honest. Mm. So August 23rd, 1305, Wallace was sent to Westminster Hall where he was indicted and condemned to death. There was no trial because he was declared a traitor to the king. Wallace reportedly responded to the treason charge with, I could not be a traitor to Edward for I was never his subject. Ooh, um, that's a good line. Yeah, right? Like that's one of like the only actual like lines that we know that he, 
he <laughs> said, actually said. Um, so that same day, Wallace was taken from the hall to the Tower of London, stripped naked, dragged through the city at the heels of a horse Yikes. to the Elms at Smithfield. He was hanged, drawn and quartered, strangled by hanging, but released while he was still alive. Oh, no. Emasculated, eviscerated, his bowels Oof. burned before him. What? Then he was beheaded and they cut him into four parts. Um, his preserved oh head, which was dipped in tar, by the way, was placed <sighs> on a pike atop London Bridge and his limbs were sent north to dishonor the Scots and displayed separately at Newcastle, Berwick, Stirling and Perth. So there is no grave site or tomb <laughs> for William Wallace because um, his remains were were str- strewn to the wind essentially yeah scattered to the four winds yes like that is truly the definition they of really overkill. overkill yeah right yeah so edward the first thought by giving him such an ignoble death that the scots would forget about wallace and that there were huh. you know that there were also kind of religious connotations too because wallace would have no body to rise on judgment day and so mm. be damned forever and if you are familiar with like you know early catholic teachings that's why they were yes. so against cremation and organ donation was because they thought that your oh, body right. needed to be whole um, yeah. for you to be, you know, for the body you to your rise on judgment form. day and that you would be damned yeah. forever. Exactly. So yeah. I just talked about everything that we actually know about William Wallace. Um, while I can admittedly say that I have not seen the movie Braveheart, I have seen memes and image Sh- macros and sure. articles and all sorts of stuff and didn't like a bunch of dudes in high school love that movie and all they that did. kind of stuff and it doesn't sound like i've talked about a lot of things that you might have lauren experienced if you too have watched braveheart i it's been a long time but yeah i don't recognize most of those particular right. plot points in right. the real life of the man yeah perfect so let me tell you so <laughs> William Wallace, he was unmarried, not known to a father to any children. There is mm-hmm. no existing portrait of him, no contemporary description of his appearance. Um, many of the stories surrounding William Wallace have actually been traced to a late 15th century romance ascribed to a man named Harry the Minstrel, also mm. called Blind Harry. <laughs> so you'll hear like a lot of things like referred to like, uh, it turns out Blind Harry wrote that down. <laughs> I don't know if Harry was actually blind. I'm not to disparage anybody of the of the visual of impairment. The, but yes, you know, Her- Blind Harry had his own stuff going on. Yeah. So a lot of people, though, have taken Blind Harry's poem at face value, but a lot of it is unsubstantiated. Mm. Including like this perpetuating statement that like, the sheriff of Lanark killed his wife, which is why Wallace went like so ham on the English. Yeah. Eh, that didn't happen. That's, we don't yeah. think that happened. Um, other legacy reasons, like there is a huge monument to William Wallace that was built in the 1860s and it stands atop the rock of Abbey Craig near Sterling, like his his most famous victory. And um, that monument also contains something that they refer to as the Wallace sword, thinking that it was a sword that belonged to William Wallace. But there's oh. been a lot of... A lot of examination, yeah. a lot of speculation. They're like, I mean, like there's like a little bit of something that could have been from the 13th century yeah, in this sword, but like much of it has been reconstructed over the years or they think there's like at least like three separate swords that were assembled to make this. So take it at, you know, yeah, take With it as assault. you will. If you go to the Wallace um, Monument in Sterling, that sword may or may not contain bits and pieces of 
of William Wallace's actual yeah. sword. So mm-hmm. anyway, of course, perhaps the reason why Americans would know the name William Wallace sure. is that Mel Gibson portrayed him in 1995's Braveheart the Academy Award-winning film that was loosely based on his life. Now, again, I say loosely based because there are Extremely also loose. like tons and tons of articles out there all about the historical inaccuracies and artistic license taken with this film. Yeah. One of my favorites, for example, in a 2009 article in The Times, author Caroline White wrote, quote, not only was the Scottish hero William Wallace gruesomely executed in 1305, having been captured by the English at Falkirk, but seven centuries later, his memory was exhumed, smeared with blue face paint, and mutilated by Mel Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good line. Wallace, he was not like the poor villager that the film depicts. He was a landowner. He was a minor knight. Um, Like the litany of things that continues is like they said his like love interest um was queen isabella but like she yeah. would have been like an actual a preschooler at the time that this actually yeah, took like place the timeline is all off the other thing is like they show him in a kilt which was a garment not developed for another three centuries um <laughs> the historian sharon crossa likens it to quote a film about colonial america showing the colonial men wearing 20th century business suits but with the jackets worn back to front instead of the right way around <laughs> So, yeah, if like you can, even if you haven't seen Braveheart, like you can kind of picture like, you know, they have blue paint on their face and they have kilts on and they're tied like that. That didn't exist. It didn't exist. It didn't exist. So 13th century Scots, they would have really been wearing like a plain tunic. And if anything, it would have been like a tunic dyed yellow. Um, And if anything, it was if they couldn't afford the yellow dye, it might have been dyed with urine. So there's like, you know, it's a little less glamorous than these like tartan plaids that they were like depicting in the movie. Like they didn't have any way to like weave these intricate patterns into this wool. Like actually clan tartans were not even a thing until the 18th century. Um, And then this like belted plaid or kilt was developed as outerwear to keep you warm and dry. And it would not have even appeared until the 16th century. So like immediately like the costumes, like they just take you right out of it. So not only is like the stories wrong, the, the costumes wrong, also, this blue face paint that you that you kind of will link to Braveheart, it's called mm-hmm. woad, which is a blue dye that's produced from the leaves of the Isatis tinctoria plant. But historians don't believe that William Wallace and his men would have worn this during the first war for Scottish independence. Um, face and body painting like that would have been a reference to actually the Picts who inhabited that oh, land right. more than a thousand years earlier. So like... Uh, also didn't happen yeah that's kind of like i mean a little bit of an equivalent would be like us walking around wearing like white lead yeah um, on our faces like it's a real just kind of pick and mix of of different historical references sounds scottish like what looks scott what do we associate with scotland i mean yeah okay also i remember like 10 minutes ago when i talked about the battle of sterling bridge how that was like probably one of the most important battles in Scottish history. Sure. The film Braveheart set the battle of Stirling bridge in a field, no water, no bridge, no No crazy maneuvers from the Scots, just a field. So like that's, that's also a pretty big change. (laughs) You also like not for nothing. That's a cool story. You'd think that anything they would want to like put that on film. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, but no, eh, let's just get a field somewhere. I don't know. Um, and then finally, like the biggest inaccuracy about Braveheart was that, <laughs> and you might have noticed this, 
I didn't ever mention him as this name. William Wallace was never called Braveheart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's a marketing ploy. It yeah. Sounds like. So that name instead historically has always referred to Robert the Bruce, who I mentioned was later King Robert the First. So oh, right. before his death, Robert the Bruce asked longtime friend James Black Douglas to bring his heart on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Like that, that like that was one of like his lifelong regrets is like he never got to go on the Crusades. So yeah. he said, if when I die, please bring my heart with you on a pilgrimage to the Holy Lands. So unfortunately, his friend Douglas kind of stopped to support Spain's king in a campaign against the Moors and was killed in battle. And according to legend, he threw the casket holding Bruce's heart ahead of him in battle before entering the fray, declaring, oh. lead on, brave heart, I'll follow thee. So right. Bruce's heart was ultimately retrieved and like they think oh, they got it. Um, and it was interred at Melrose Abbey. And the heart has since become a symbol of Scottish pride. So mm. it's like they took this story and they liked this nickname. Yeah. And they put it and all together. And then they said, like, what's Scottish? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, some fried Mars bars showed up in Braveheart. I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, like ah. Yeah, or like, we need the protein. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. What? So what's oh your God. what's your story about Braveheart? So so this is really interesting. So I had in, in college, I had an English professor who was a, an amazing guy, like, so funny and so interesting. But... He had a PhD in, I think, like Middle and Old English mm -hmm. or something like that, Old and Old and Middle English. And he told this story about when he was working on his PhD, which was his PhD was about William Wallace. Uh -huh. Like his whole dissertation was about William Wallace. And this was in the early 90s. And he said he had been like so focused on it. He was so in debt, like in deep reading, like, you know, contemporary writings and like all of this stuff. And finally, his wife was like, why don't you take a break because you're like sleep deprived. Let's go to the movies. And he was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. So he said that he walked into, <laughs> he walked into the theater and there was a full size standee of Mel Gibson. Yeah. And it said like coming this summer, meet William Wallace or something like that. And he was like, what is, what is happening? happening? What is, he was like, he told, he told his wife whose name was Penelope. He was like, Penelope, do you see that? Like, is that? Do you see that? Do you see? Just shut up. Do you see that right there? Mel Gibson as William Wallace. Because he was like, before that movie came out, no one outside from historians and right. the Scottish knew who yeah. William Wallace was. Why would they? Yeah. So he was like, I had no idea this movie was coming out because I was just focusing on my, my PhD yeah. dissertation. And he said the one time I like, emerge Left, into uh -huh. the world i see mel gibson acting like a bastardized version of the the individual that i am like trying to write my phd yeah. dissertation on he said it was the most surreal thing that had ever yeah happened. also even if he had been paying attention to the news braveheart would have meant nothing to him because it's yeah exactly not, it's not william wallace's nickname <laughs> nothing to do with william wallace so he was like losing his <laughs> losing his mind it's yeah so it's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like uh, frequently like one of the movies that always comes up on these like list of most inaccurate yeah. historical historically inaccurate movies. Yeah. Um, 
That's great. Uh, a couple <laughs> other tidbits uh, yes. about William Wallace. Again, like he is like this really beloved figure in Scottish history. Yeah. He he has made a huge impact. He's like a very inspirational character. Um, he did have a lot of impact on those wars. Like he was fighting for his country. We don't know any, you know, if he said any of those lines that you can take my whatever, but you can't take my freedom. Like we yeah. don't have any any proof of that on record a lot of that is really artistic license um but some other tidbits in 1793 the um the famous scotch poet robert burns he Mm. wrote the lyrics to the patriotic song of scotland called scots wahey which translates in english to scots who have um so the opening stanza in the english translation is quote scots who have with wallace bled scots whom bruce has often led welcome to your gory bed or to victory so you know he's like automatic like he's right there like william wallace is like in the opening line of like one of the most patriotic songs of scotland yeah Mm-hmm. Um, when you enter the main gates at Edinburgh Castle, um, statues of Sir William Wallace and Robert the Bruce flank either side of the main entrance there. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Wallace is the subject and protagonist of the tutorial campaign in the real-time strategy game Age of Empires 2. Um, oh. So Age of Empires typically is like a real-time strategy video game series that, you know, you build civilizations and and they're often based on some real characters there. Um there is going to be a big um, <laughs> exhibit when the Strong Museum um, opens its expansion wing in 2023 um, that is about the art of the Age of Empires, which is going to be a pretty cool exhibit. So, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that'll be cool. That was just like an incidental um, plug. Um, and also, I can't get through an episode about Scottish history without talking about bagpipes. So, of course, despite the Scottish Great Highland bagpipes being probably the best known example in the Anglophone world, bagpipes have actually been played for centuries throughout large parts mm. of Europe, Northern Africa, Western Asia, the Persian Gulf, and also Northern parts of yeah. South Asia. Um, so there are several 13th century Western European manuscripts that mention or show illustrations of bagpipes. And although evidence of bagpipes in the British Isles prior to the 14th century is a little bit contested, they are explicitly mentioned in the Canterbury Tales, which was written around 1380 Mm. by Chaucer. Um, So there would also not have been any bagpipes on the battlefield with William Wallace either. Just just so you guys know. (laughs) Just as an FYI. I mean, I love a bagpipe. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. I love it. When we went to Scotland, I was like, Ah, I, like the only guy, like I saw like, you know, whenever I would see like a busker who was playing the bagpipes, mm. I'd be like, we have to stop. We have to stop and yeah. I have to give this man some, some, some coins money. because I am enjoying this. This is exactly what I came here for. Exactly. I mean, you have to play the bagpipe well. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to hear that. like somebody practicing their bagpipes. Yeah. It's a, it's one of those things that needs to be played well, but oh, Oh, when it's played well. Mm, you smell the heather and the mm. haggis. Oh, yes. And the it's so skink. It's beautiful. And uh, I can taste the iron brew. Ugh. That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was it. That was some William Wallace. Um, I'm sorry to have debunked some of the movie Braveheart, but... Um, mm, so Scottish independence are actually pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I love I love uh, some British Isles history. So I hope I hope it you guys so, did too. It was great. I, it is so heartbreaking when some when there is already like a cool historical story. Like this didn't really need any embellishment. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Exactly. Like it's an interesting story, but 
you know, Hollywood or writers or whomever. Mm-hmm. And granted, this was 1995. I mean, I feel like maybe things have gotten like maybe slightly better. But, you know, they they just make the assumption that like the average person is too stupid to like want to be interested in. Right. Like just a cool, you know, historical story, which I don't think is true. Like <laughs> we're smarter than that. But yeah, we're whatever. a little smarter than that now. Yeah. If anything, you know, you're just going to get eviscerated on the Internet. So, you know, do yes. your research. Please. There's historians out there with Twitter accounts with like thousands of followers. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, great well, job, Julia. What did you say? I loved it. I said great job. Oh, thank I loved you. It. Thank you. Well, my quiz is called Great Scots. This is a Ooh. quiz on some pretty famous folks with the surname Scott. All right. Here we so go. So that should help you. Thanks. As we go through. Also, I have to say, you can't just respond with the last name for this episode. You need to get oh, the damn, name. damn. That was my one out. I know. Ooh. I know. All right. Question one. If you take the last name of a character played by Sigourney Weaver and rotate one of its letters, you'll get the first name of which English sir who directed her in a very popular 1979 sci-fi film? Question two. Who is... That American R&B and jazz singer-songwriter who released three albums subtitled Words and Sounds in the 2000s. You may have also spotted her on screen in Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married, HBO's number one ladies detective agency, and on BET's revival of First Wives Club. Question three. Tell me the name of the Scottish poet who penned Waverly, you know it, and the Lady of the Lake and Marmion... Rob Roy, Heart of Midlothian, or you may well think of Ivanhoe and his monuments in Edinburgh and Glasgow. Question four. In a landmark case in the U.S. Supreme Court in 1857, which enslaved black man sued for his freedom after claiming he had been taken into the free U.S. territory of Wisconsin, which should have automatically granted him his freedom? In what has been described as the worst Supreme Court decision ever, the court held that the Constitution was not meant to include American citizenship for people of African descent and that the rights and privileges should not apply to them. Question five. Born Jacques Berman Webster II, you likely know this sicko mode rapper by his stage name, which he created by combining the name of a favorite uncle with the real name of Kid Cudi. This fellow collaborated with McDonald's on a limited edition meal, performed a virtual concert inside of Fortnite, and has two kiddos with Kylie Jenner. Name this artist and record producer. Question six. Which British Royal Navy officer and explorer was the first to spot the Antarctic Plateau while on the aptly named Discovery Expedition in 1903? In a race against the Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen to reach the South Pole, his team from the Terra Nova Expedition perished on Antarctica in 1912. Question seven, in a response to the spoken word piece, When the Revolution Comes, which soul and jazz poet released the enormously influential 1971 work, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised? Question eight, the Adult Swim Golf Classic was a one-off special featuring two actors who happened to each share a name with a professional golfer. John Daly donned a blonde wig, striped shirt, and plaid pants to represent his namesake, while his competitor appeared as a clean-cut Australian. Put some torque on your swing and tell me his, their, name. Question 9. 
following her well-publicized 2019 divorce from the founder of a company originally called Cadabra, which American philanthropists donated $8.5 billion with a B dollars across 780 organizations between July 2020 and July 2021. And finally, question 10. Which Canadian twins help families sell, purchase, and renovate fixer-uppers into their dream homes on multiple programs airing on the HGTV network? I'll give you a bit of a minute to think, and I'll be back with your answers. Um, I'm actually feeling pretty good about this. It's fun. It's a fun quiz. It's a good quiz. All right. Here we go. I think I'm feeling good. I think I only got like two that I'm like, I have no idea. All right. All right. Question one. If you take the last name of a character played by Sigourney Weaver and rotate one of its letters, you'll get the first name of which English sir who directed her in a very popular 1979 sci-fi film. This was an excellently written question. I got Thank you. you. Um, that's Ridley Scott. It is Absolutely, Ridley Scott. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Ellen Ripley, who is the protagonist mm -hmm. of the Alien series. So Ridley Scott has had a crazy career. Like, yes. So he was born in 1937. He had like five brothers who were also into like film and TV producing. He did a lot of like advertising work, including like doing something for some bread company, which was voted like the best commercial ever done in England in 2006. Wow. Anyway. He directed not only Alien, but also Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, The Martian, House of Gucci, and much, much more. <laughs> so, House. House of Gucci. The House of Gucci. All right. Question two. Who is that American R&B and jazz singer-songwriter who released three albums subtitled Words and Sounds in the 2000s? You may have also spotted her on screen in Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married, HBO's number one ladies detective agency, and on BET's revival of First Wives Club. Uh, that's Jill Scott. Heck yes, it is. She's amazing. She is amazing. Her voice is amazing. Her voice Ugh, is so voice amazing, is so guys. Um, her 2000 debut album, Who is Jill Scott? Words and Sounds Volume 1, went platinum. The follow-ups, Beautifully Human, Words and Sounds Volume 2 from 2004, and The Real Thing, Words and Sounds Volume 3 from 2007, both achieved gold status. Mm. You know, after all of that success, she got into, like, film and TV work and acting. Yeah. And, like, she has so many, like, amazing, like, colleagues and friends who she's have, a great actress she's worked with too. along the way yeah so beautiful. underrated i think beautiful really underrated in the mainstream i think so for too. sure i agree all right question three tell me the name of the scottish poet who penned waverly you know it and the lady of the lake and marmion 
Rob Roy, Heart of Midlothian, or you may well think of Ivanhoe and his monuments in Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, this was such a beautifully written question, and I feel terrible <laughs> that I don't know <laughs> who this is. Um, um, oh, wait. You do. Ooh. Is this Sir Walter Scott? It sure, it sure oh, is okay. Sir Walter Scott. Yeah, yeah, yep. So I wrote that for a different answer. So I got a oh, different okay. answer wrong okay. in the future. So just okay. FYI. A different future answer wrong. <laughs> yes. yes. Sir Walter Scott. So he was around from 1771 to 1832. His knowledge of history and literary facility equipped him to establish the historical novel genre. So Scott's works had a huge impact on basically all European literature of the 19th and 20th centuries, including influencing Tolstoy, the Brontes, Balzac, mm-hmm. Dostoevsky, Pushkin, who you can learn more about in episode 98, uh, Flaubert, and of course, Mark Twain. So our favorite crotchety old man, who you can go back to episode 41 and learn more about. It's very good. Um, so Mark Twain, famously hard on Sir Walter Scott. Um, yes. Twain was not a romantic and he often wrote that the influences of Scott's romances on the culture of the antebellum South and he diagnosed this as Sir Walter disease so great Um, yeah and interestingly enough in 1828 Walter Scott actually wrote the story of Sir William Wallace in his tales of a grandfather so he continued to perpetuate the story of Sir William Wallace but Mm. yeah uh, Mark Twain did not did not like Sir Walter Scott Mm. Question four. In a landmark case in the U.S. Supreme Court in 1857, which enslaved black man sued for his freedom after claiming he had been taken into the free U.S. territory of Wisconsin, which should have automatically given him his freedom? In what has been declared as the worst Supreme Court decision ever, the court held that the Constitution was not meant to include American citizenship for people of African descent and that the rights and privileges should not apply to them. Um, Is this Dred Scott? Yes, it is. Dred Scott. The Supreme Court's 72 decision in Dred Scott v. Sanford has been widely denounced both for how overtly racist the decision was and its Uh, crucial role in the near collapse of the U.S. just four years later. You know, Civil War, all that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, for more on the U.S. Supreme Court and some of its good and bad decisions, you can check out episode 194. It's very good. Thanks. Okay, question five. Born Jacques Berman Webster II. You likely know this sicko mode rapper by his stage name, which he created by combining the name of a favorite uncle with the real name of Kid Cudi. This fellow collaborated with McDonald's on a limited edition meal, performed a virtual concert inside of Fortnite, and has two kiddos with Kylie Jenner. Name this artist and record producer. Uh, that's Travis Scott. It- is Travis Scott. And he's being sued by a lot of people right now. He is in the news. Yeah. Travis Scott is in the news. That's some reference to some stupid podcast Josh (laughs) listens to, I think. (laughs) No, sorry. Oh, no. Did I make a Walt? Did I make a Howard Stern reference? Oh, no. Julia, no. Okay, I made an Eric Andre reference. That's better than a Howard Stern reference. (laughs) Anyway, Travis Scott is in the news. Um, Yes, Uh, as of late, Travis Scott, uh, the bad press has outweighed the good. Obviously, and and we'll remind this, at his November 5th, 2021 Astroworld Festival in Houston, 10 people died and hundreds were injured in a crowd crush tragedy. Um, In its aftermath, news outlets highlighted Scott's history of dangerous disregard for audience safety. As Lauren just alluded to, there are are lots of lawsuits happening against him for, I 
you know, again, maybe not fostering a particularly safe crowd and also yeah. not stopping the yeah. performance when it was reported that things were going wrong. So there's all kinds of all kinds of stuff in the news about Travis Scott. But yeah, um, he is the father of two of Kylie Jenner's children. Did you find out? Did you know? I did. I, I just I, I just found out. I just yeah. got out today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have the Stormy and Wolf. Wolf. I mean. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. All right. Uh, That's yeah, fine. But Whatever. I didn't realize where his where his stage name had come from. And I also didn't realize yeah. that like Kid Cuddy's real name. Like I knew Kid Cuddy probably wasn't that guy's real name. But his real name is Scott Muscuddy. So. Oh. Uh, that's where Travis Scott took the Scott from his name. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Question six. Which British Royal Navy officer and explorer was the first to spot the Antarctic Plateau while on the aptly named Discovery Expedition in 1903? In a race against the Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen to reach the South Pole, his team from the Terra Nova Expedition perished on Antarctica in 1912. So I'm mad because I, I put Sir Walter Scott here. Mm. And obviously that's the poet mm. and not the explorer. I don't think Walter Scott would have gotten on a boat. No. Absolutely not. He's a man after my own heart. Would he not had have polio and gout and <laughs> lots of lots of romantic <laughs> thoughts running through his head. Yes, that man did not want to did not want to get on a boat and go look at some ice. No, very melancholic. So uh, yeah, I so I have not had a lot of time to think about this. So all I can think of is Edmund Hillary, and that's not obviously mm, that's not. It doesn't the, end in Scott Lauren. No, I so, mean I recognize that this fellow. Whose name you should know is Robert Falcon Scott. Oh, so okay. Scott and his team are presumed to have died in March 1912 based on the letters and the notes that were found with his body, mm. which also is fascinating to read about. Like Ooh, they yeah, knew, like they were supposed to meet up with somebody with supplies and it didn't the timing didn't work and they're like in Antarctica and it's also 1912, so everybody's just just like wearing a coat. You know, like they didn't, they didn't have Gore-Tex in 1912. Yeah, so exactly. They're just like in Antarctica in a coat and like a tent and they it, they knew it wasn't going to work. They knew they knew they were dying and they were like wrote like letters about their experience and like letters to their family. Mm -hmm. It's incredible to read. Anyway. Oh, my God. But also, like when their bodies were found, alongside the bodies lay 35 pounds of Glossopteris tree fossils, which were the first ever discovered Antarctic fossils. So, oh. so like they found these and uncovered them and like carried them with them on their like their sled while they were like dying in Antarctica and kept them with them um, oh so that when their bodies were discovered. So yes, there his team's. Um, Bodies are still on Antarctica. I think when they were found, yeah. they were kind of like covered up with snow when like a little marker was put there. But yeah. anyway, so the U.S. scientific research station at the South Pole is called the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. Oh, right. So you might have okay. heard of it out of that. Um, so basically like Robert Falcon Scott's team and Roald Amundsen's team were like in a competition to like race to get to the South Pole. And Amundsen's team actually, actually beat him there. But... I mean, what are you gonna do? And, then Scott, and then Scott died there. So it was kind of like a little bit of adding insult to injury. But they did find those fossils, guys. So that's really important. Hey, that's still something. Yep. All right. Number seven. In response to the spoken word piece, When the Revolution Comes, which soul and jazz poet released the enormously influential 1971 work, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised? 
That's Gil Scott Heron. It sure is. So he has like such an interesting life. Like I recommend yeah. like spending some time reading about him. Um, he's like a like a really wild life. Um, his own term for himself was bluesologist. He defined mm-hmm. that as a scientist concerned with the origin of the blues. And his poem, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, um, was delivered over a jazz soul beat and is considered a major influence on hip hop music. Um, so actually, it was a response, as I mentioned, to a um, piece called When the Revolution Comes by the Last Poets. Um, that particular piece opens with the line, quote, when the revolution comes, some of us will probably catch it on TV. So that's mm. why Heron, Scott Heron's poem was, um, was the revolution will not be televised. Um, um, anyway, in 2021, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a recipient of the Early Influence Award. So I saw him live. <gasps> what? Yeah. Like a year before he died. Wow. In 2011, it was at like, I think the Syracuse Jazz Festival or something like that. Wow. He was an hour late. <laughs> um, he showed up and he like had a full backing band and all this stuff. And all he did was just like talk. Like we en- ended up leaving because it started to rain. <laughs> but um, he was like, you all know what jazz means, right? And we were like, what is he going to say? And granted, this is like a family, like there were children. <gasps> and he was like, it's a combination of jizz and as. <laughs> and I dined out on that story for, oh, the better part of a decade. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, Gil, there are children here. Save the I mean, he was on a lot of cocaine and like a lot of points in his life. And he was, you know, he was getting up. I mean, he died like literally a year later or so. And he just did not give a fuck. No, no, he didn't. And he fought a lot for (laughs) civil rights. Yes, absolutely. But now... I don't know. (laughs) Now I know where the word jazz comes from. Yeah, now I know (laughs) We should just end it on that note. I don't even need to finish the rest of these questions. All right. uh, Question eight. The Adult Swim Golf Classic was a one-off special featuring two actors who happened to each share a name with a professional golfer. John Daly donned a blonde wig, striped shirt, and plaid pants to represent his namesake, while his competitor appeared as a clean-cut Australian. Put some torque on your swing and tell me his, their name. Julia, <laughs> do you know who who was okay? Okay, do in, I know who in influenced your last, this question? In your last, in your in your last episode about yeah. Ivy Wells, you did a quiz question that was influenced by your husband. <laughs> oh, oh, are and you in, saying that this is influenced in this by podcast, Josh? <laughs> in this podcast, I got a little help from um, engineer yeah. Josh on this question. So, yeah, I gathered, I gathered can, as much. Can you can you name a a comedic actor whose last name is Scott that engineer Josh would know. Oh my God. Um, who's also has the same name as a golfer. Oh geez. See, that's really putting me behind the eight ball here. My friends. Mm. Um, I have, I hate to say he was in party down. He was in parks and recreations. You know who this is. I mean, I'm sure I do. Uh, I guess. What's you his, know I can see his face. Is. 
Are you talking you two to me, Lauren? <laughs> I don't know what the, I mean, I know <laughs> of it, but I never listened. I've never I've never like You've never talked you two to me. I've never listened to a single second. Have you of- ever are listen to REM REM Remy? No. <laughs> this is oh I don't know. I don't know. Oh, this is Adam Scott. Adam Scott. You know Adam bitch. Scott. You know what? I never thought of Adam Scott as a comedian, I guess. I always thought of him oh. as an actor. He's like he's pretty comedic. I mean, sure, like I would, I would I would think he was a comedic actor, not a comedian. Josh is is scrunching was, up his nose. At I me. was giving her. I was throwing some extra hints at her. He said, "Yeah, the question doesn't say comedic." <laughs> oh my gosh! Anyway, I, okay. Well, the the onus is on me that I thought that it was co- a comedian because they're all all those you know silly boys are all <laughs> comics. John Dale so. is a comedian. Why wouldn't Adam Scott be a comedian? Yeah, exactly. Too? Anyway. Anyway, Adam Scott, yeah. the actor, won the Adult Swim Golf Classic with 71 over par, besting John Daly's 72 over par. Adam right. Scott, the professional golfer, won the Masters Tournament in 2013, the only Australian golfer to have ever done so. Mm. Question nine. Following her well-publicized 2019 divorce from the founder of a company originally called Cadabra, which American philanthropists donated $8.5 billion with a B dollars across 780 organizations between July 2020 and July 2021. So I, I hope I'm getting her name order correct. Is it Mackenzie Scott Bezos or it is like Mackenzie Scott? Mackenzie Scott. Period. Period. Get yeah. rid of that Bezos. Get yeah, rid of forget it. Forget him. Um, so the most recent numbers, as of November 2021, she has a net worth of $62.2 billion oh uh, because of her 4% stake in Amazon. Oh she God. is the third wealthiest woman in the US, the 21st wealthiest individual in the world. Um But in May 2019, Scott signed the Giving Pledge, which is a charitable giving campaign in which she undertook to give away most of her wealth to charity over her lifetime or in her will. Yeah. Um, As an aside, in July 1994, Jeff Bezos initially incorporated the company in Washington State with the name Cadabra Inc. But after a few months, he changed the company's name to Amazon.com because a lawyer misheard its original name as Cadaver. Um, Bezos selected the name Amazon by looking through a dictionary. He settled on Amazon because it was a place that was exotic and different. And also because the Amazon River, as the biggest river in the world, he planned to make his store the biggest bookstore in the world. Sure. So it's always nice to know what something used to be called. Yeah, of course. Um, All right. And finally, question 10. Which Canadian twins help families sell, purchase, and renovate fixer-uppers into their dream homes on multiple programs airing on the HGTV network? Um, I don't care what Zoe Dachanel thinks. <laughs> These two are creepy, and I don't appreciate it. It's the Property Brothers. <laughs> the Property Brothers, and their names are? Uh, Jonathan Scott, and I can't remember the other one's name. Jason Scott or John Scott or you know it's always like I think it's alliterative they're both J's is that true they're not both J's oh no Richard Dan uh Sam 
We're Phil, not going to do this. All right. The property Penn, brothers are Drew and Jonathan. Drew. Scott. That's it. Yes. Drew. But quick, Lauren, I'm, which one is dating Zoe Deschanel? Oh, it's um Jonathan, the, the more clean cut one. You are correct. Yeah. Um, Apparently, of the of the twins, Drew sure. was a total surprise. His mother went into labor in the hospital thinking she was having one single baby. And then what? four minutes later, there was a second one. So no, that's a nightmare. Right? That's a nightmare. Right? <laughs> anyway. Could you imagine? Oh, my God, I would drop dead. Anyway, I thought that was a funny <laughs> tidbit about them. But yes, we watched the prop- the brother's property. The brother's property, um, yeah. They're one of the first television programs that, that my daughter got to watch while we were, mm. you know, sitting on a couch for That's beautiful. And you know what? You never take that away from yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Um, my favorite of the programs is Property Brothers Forever Home because it's like they just renovate the house you already own. Which oh, is okay. like so much more relatable than like, yeah. Do you want to buy this house that's made of marble and glass, or do yeah. you want to buy this house you can afford that we have to yeah. change the paint on? So I like the I like the forever home ones because that's like yeah, that sounds a little bit more. You live here. Palatable. This room would be better if you fixed it up a little and changed the flow or whatever. They yeah. and and what also I like is they don't always knock out all the walls <laughs> like you see on so many oh, good. HGTV shows, right? Like mm-hmm. so much of this like open concept stuff is like yeah, people I are going to try play. to buy houses in like ten years from now and be like, why? But why do why, why is my toilet in the middle of my living can room? I see, why can I see everything that's happening yeah. in this house? No, where do you put your junk? Where do you hang right. your art? What exactly. if like, you know, there's all there's, so there's all sorts of things. There's no, so I much. totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Rooms forever. Yeah. Yeah. So well, great job. This was great. And I'm Thanks so glad I did better than normal on this one. You so did so great. Thank you for and that. I think it helped that everybody's last name was Scott. Um, yes. <laughs> That's so thank that you guys for listening. Thank you for um for rating and reviewing and subscribing. Yes. Thank you for your kind comments. Thank mm-hmm. you for following us on Twitter. Yes. And sending thank us, you. you know, some fun emails at misinfopod at gmail.com. Yes. Etc. Everything. Et yeah. Yeah. That's everything. Pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Just be you know on what? the lookout for another really fun episode with us in uh, two yes. weeks. We're and so excited. Yes. And we'll catch you then. So. See Bye. ya. Bye. Bye.